Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you will enjoy this weekly resource. Good morning, y'all. It is good to be here. I was told that I can do this in Spanish. Is that correct? No? Okay. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Let us start with a word of prayer. God made the words of my mouth. May the meditation of our hearts be pleasant before you. May I decrease so you may increase this morning. Amen. I want to greet you on behalf of Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson and the rest of the North Georgia cabinet. It is my absolutely pleasure, privilege, and joy to serve as your district superintendent. I'm going to be honest with you, being a district superintendent in these days, it is not one of the most popular jobs to have. But I want to believe that someday when I look back to this season, and I think in the year 2022, despite of the good, the bad, and the ugly of this year, I can go back and think, you know what? In 2022, the University of Georgia won the national championship, (laughs) and it is well with my soul. I also want to greet you on behalf of my wife, Kelly, and our five children. Kelly is a children's director in our church, so she's back there working. But hopefully someday uh, in the near future, we all as a family can come and spend some time with you guys. When Pastor Chuck asked me to preach this morning, for the past couple of weeks, I've been wrestling with God. God, would you give me a word? I don't want it to be my word. I want it to be your word. So I've been looking for that, you know, burning bush, for the talking donkey, for that, you know, mighty sign that God says, here is your word. And a couple of weeks ago, I got it. And it happened in the most subtle way usually the way God likes to talk to me at least, and that is through my children. I was sitting in the backyard, and let me paint this picture to you. In our backyard, we have roughly 40, 45 yards of just flat grass. And three of my boys were playing football in that place. Have a 16-year-old quarterback, have a 10-year-old wide receiver and a 7-year-old safety. So it's perfect because I get to watch. I don't get to run routes or do anything like that. And my boys are just full of testosterone, full of energy, and they won't stop playing until the game is over. And that usually is because somebody starts crying, or at some point we just tell them, you have to come inside. Then on the other side of my backyard is the back porch. 
And I looked there and there was my daughter. I had one girl and four boys. Uh, and God knew that I couldn't handle more than one girl. <laughs> I'm okay with my boys. I can, you know, get in their face and yell at them and they yell at me. But my daughter, I just look at her and she just starts crying and I don't know what to do. <laughs> She's 13 years old. Last year she just got her cell phone. And as much as we try to, you know, control the time that she's in it, I will say most of the time she has, you know, the phone on her face. And if you have a teenager, you may be familiar with that. She can be connected to the whole world through that little phone. Yet, she's completely unaware to what's happening under her nose. That morning, what was happening under her nose was our two-year-old, Jonah, the boy who was strong enough and tall enough to pick up a tricycle and put it on top of the table, to climb a chair, then climb the table, then climb the tricycle, standing with his both feet on the seat of the tricycle, and you can see it moving back and forward, trying to reach the bird feeder that we have hanging from the gutters. That child, I think he believes he's made out of plastic or Play-Doh or something unbreakable. I don't know if he's going to make it out of childhood in one piece. But he was there. And around four feet away, it was my beautiful wife, Kelly, who is sitting there and she's looking at our son. And I almost can read her mind as she's sitting there thinking, buddy, you're number five, you're on your own, <laughs> right? You see, with number one, right, I mean, he was almost, you know, wrapping bubble wrap, wearing a helmet. If a fly light on his hand, we will call the pediatrician, what do we do? With number five, he's like, dude, you're, you're on your own. You, you're literally going to fly solo this time. It may or may have not been after 5 o'clock. She was done for the day being a mom. And I'm looking at that image, and I'm thinking, that, my friends, is a microcosm of the church. And I'm not talking just about Athens first. I'm not talking just about the United Methodist Church. I am talking about the church, the body of Christ. Let me tell you why. I believe the world is like my two-year-old, getting in trouble every single day, just one small step away of blowing up. And there are some people or some churches that are like my boys. They're just busy doing their own thing, playing their own game. And I'm not saying that playing football is wrong, or even playing church is wrong per se. But so busy doing their own things that are unaware of what is happening in a greater scale. Maybe in Ukraine, maybe in Pakistan, maybe in Charleston or Minneapolis. Then, there are those in churches or the church that are like my daughter, that can be connected to the whole world, 
through technology. That they can see what is happening all around the world, yet they're oblivious to what is happening right there in their backyards, right there under their nose. Then there are those that are like my wife, that you see the trouble, that you see the brokenness, yet you're thinking, been there, done that. Should be somebody else's responsibility now. I already did my part. Or people should learn from their own consequences. But I'm just going to sit and watch. And then there are others that were like me that moment. What I was doing was taking pictures, posting them on Facebook, <laughs> and making a post. Somebody has to do something about it. Yet, I did not get up to take care of my kid. Now, if you ask any of the children that day, or the parents, what are we supposed to do when we see a toddler standing on a tricycle, sitting on a table? We all know what the answer was, right? You go and get the child down. You see, the, the thing in churches, when we see brokenness around us, it's not that we don't know what to do. But perhaps sometimes we don't know how to do it. I believe last week, Pastor Betsy talked to you guys about what to do. So I'm going to read a story this morning in the Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter that hopefully can inspire us to know today to know what to do. Luke 10, chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. As Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, he says the following. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and led him near death. Now, it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side and went on his own way. Likewise, a Levite came by the post. He saw the injured man and he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his own way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him, he, wound, he bandaged his wounds, he tanned him with oil and wine, then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out full, two full days worth of wages, 
and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you, I will pay you back for any additional cost. Then Jesus asked this question, who do you think was the neighbor to this man? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. So Jesus said, go and do the same. So we know what to do when we see brokenness in this world. We know what to do when we see trouble in this world. We're called to do what Jesus said. Go and have compassion. Go and have mercy. And I know you're wondering, okay, Pastor, but how do we do it? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. You see, to our children, when we send them to school every morning, we, and one goes to high school, middle school, or elementary age, we give them the same instruction every morning. You go find broken and do good. And they'll find brokenness in the school, as you are aware. So just find broken and do good. How do we do it in this story? Well, to find broken and do good in this story is going to take risk. Everybody say risk. risk. You see, the story takes place in the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's an 18-mile road, roughly 3,300 feet of incline. It is a road full of mountains, rocks, deserts. It is a perfect place for robbers to hide. What is happening here in Scripture, it is not an isolated situation. Everybody knew that was a dangerous place. It was known at the time as the Way of Blood. That was the name of that road. You don't go in that road. Yet, you have to go if you're going to travel. So when the Samaritan decided to stop to help, he knew the risk it was taking place. Because the same people that robbed this man, the same people that beat him up, they took his clothes, everything. Most likely, they were still there. If not them, others were there. The priest, the Levite, most likely they knew that was a dangerous place. So they played it safe. They walked there. They knew that if they stopped, something could happen to them. They just kept going. Martin Luther King Jr. preached this story. And in his sermon, he says the following. The priest and the Levite, when they were walking down the road, they asked themselves this question. What will happen to me if I stop? And that's a legitimate question. However, the Samaritan asked himself another question. 
what it will happen to him if I don't stop. My friends, it is not a secret that there is so much brokenness around us, locally and globally. There's homelessness, there's hungriness, there's kids dropping out of school. The question is, will Athens first take the risk and get involved? You see, to find broken and do good, not only going to take risk, it's also going to take personal involvement. Everybody say personal involvement. When the Samaritan saw the man in the road, he could have taken out his cell phone and called 911. He could have taken out his cell phone and called Pastor Betsy and said, Pastor Betsy, there's somebody that's in trouble. Why don't you do something about it? But the Bible says that he got off his donkey. He went to where the man was, which was the ground. Most likely, Hiro got on his knees, used his own bandage to clean him, pick him up, and place him on a donkey. By the time he did all that, I can guarantee you that he was full of blood and full of dirt to get involved. I don't know how many of you are familiar with our foster care system here in the United States. We as a family, we are a foster family. Uh, and I'll be honest to say this, when my wife felt a call to become foster parents, I said no. I struggle with the pain that I have seen in other foster families where you take care of a child and then after a couple of days, weeks or months, they go. How painful that is. So I said no for many weeks, months to that. And at some point I was having lunch with a friend of mine and I was telling him how me and my wife were disagreeing in becoming foster parents. And he said, buddy, you're looking at this from the wrong perspective. It's not about you. It's not about how painful this may be for you. And it will be painful. But it's about the children. And as painful as it may be, if you have somebody for one day, for one week, for five years, and then they got to go home, all that pain is worth it if you can make a difference in somebody's life. Church, getting involved in ministry, it will be painful. It should be painful. But you know what? It is worth it. It's what God requires from us. To find broken and do good, not only going to take risk, not only going to take personal involvement, is going to take time. 
Everybody said time. The Bible said that he put the man in his own donkey. He took him to the inn and stayed with him and took care of him that day. Then probably went and did his business and came back. You see, when I read stories in the Bible, I often like to put myself in those shoes, right? Or those sandals, I guess. What would I have done if that had been me? I'm thinking, okay, I hope that I would have stopped down. Stop and maybe put him in the back of my truck and drive him to the ER. And then maybe go and do my own thing. Or maybe go to the Caesar's Palace and tell them, hey, government, here's somebody in it. You better do something about it. But in this story, we read that he took the time to stay with him. I mentioned to you that we tell our kids, you find broken, you do good. And often, time is the number one excuse that we hear. Well, Dad, I have football practice. Well, I have art camp. Or I have to do my homework. Or I'm busy. Fill in the blank. I work in the church. I know time is the number one excuse in the church. And I'll tell you the same thing that I tell my kids. If you have time to sleep, you have time to pray. If you have time to feed yourself, you have time to feed somebody. If you have time to dress yourself, and I don't see anybody naked in here, you have time to dress somebody. If you have time to comfort yourself through chocolate or Starbucks or football, whatever that may be, you have time to comfort somebody. So I ask you, Athens, first, given the brokenness around you, locally and globally, I was looking at the statistics in Oconee and Clark County about victims of domestic abuse, of abuse substance, of teen parenting. What are you going to do about it? It's going to take risk. It's going to take personal involvement. It's going to take time. And it's going to take money. Everybody said money. The Bible says in the story that he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, if there is more needed when I come back, I'll pay for that. Talk about a stewardship campaign, right? Talk about a pledge in that moment. Now, two silver coins represent two days of wages. I don't know how, many, how much any of you make. Do your own math how much two days of work is worth for you. And that's what he decided to give to him. Margaret Thatcher, another preacher, that spoke in, about this topic, she put it this way. 
Nobody would have remembered the story of the Good Samaritan if all he had was good intentions. The story is in the Bible because he had money to take care of him. And then Jesus goes and finishes the story asking the question, so which one of these three was our neighbor to this man? What was the answer? The one who took care of him. Even the expert on the law, the one that didn't like Jesus, he knew the answer. You see, when we see brokenness around us, everybody knows the answer. The question is, do we want to do something about it? Are we willing to do what it takes? A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated here in the city of Athens our United Methodist Gathering Call Annual Conference. And thank you to all of you for graciously hosting us in this beautiful city. And Bishop Sue has this tradition that every time before we start business, and every time after we finish our business, one of the youth delegates will pray. And a young person will come and stand before hundreds, thousands of people, and will pray. For the last day of annual conference, my daughter was one of them. And I knew she had agreed to be a delegate. She and her other of her friends decided to come because they heard they get ice cream every single night and pizza. That did it for her. But she's my introvert girl. She doesn't talk to strangers. She doesn't like to be in the stage or the center of attention. She truly just wants to be behind the scene. So I was completely surprised when I heard that she was going to be praying that day. She stood up that day, and she prayed. And she prayed something that weeks later I'm still wrestling with. Now, I pray because I get paid, right? That, that's my business. I'm supposed to write memorable prayers that people will remember for days and weeks. I don't know if people remember what I prayed by the time they're having lunch. Yeah, this is what my daughter prayed, and is still with me. She starts saying, God, use us to bless those who are struggling with sickness, with mental health, with hunger, with homelessness, those experiencing rejection and isolation. But then he went and said, she went and said this phrase, please God, do not look for someone else. We will do it. There is so much brokenness in this world. It only takes for you to open your newspaper, 
turn on the news, to check at your email, to open your eyes and see what is happening around you, here, and all around the globe. And I don't know a lot about the future, but what I do know is that there is still a loving God that has a heart for this broken creation. And I still believe that the hope for that to take place is in the local church. Athens first. Don't let God look for someone else. Why don't you do it? Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for stories like the story of the Good Samaritan. A story that not only reminds us that it is our biblical responsibility to be merciful, to have compassion for those who are struggling. God, but we give you thanks for a story that also gives us a map into how to do it. How to be obedient to the calling that you have placed in our lives. God, I give you thanks for Athens first. For the families that are here, for the families that are watching at home, for the legacy that this church has had in this community. God, continue to give them a spirit of mercy, kindness, love, compassion, and boldness to live into your calling. God, help us be the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.